From the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It's the Craig Needles Podcast. It's time for the Friday Roundtable here at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca. And of course, the Craig Needles Podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Clearview Auto Glass. And uh, to join us for the Friday Roundtable this week, we are joined in studio by the City of London's Budget Chair, Elizabeth Pelosa is here, Political Insider Scott Collier, Lawyer Matthew Reed. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here. Glad to see you all, all today. Thanks for having us. Good afternoon. Uh, this was a, a busy news week to the point where I had a little bit of a hard time parsing down topics, but I think the <laughs> The biggest thing locally was obviously the large and lengthy discussion that was held at SPPC this week in regards to where exactly we're going to have these hubs. And there was some contentious uh, contentious discussion there, but it looks as though we are going forward with uh, uh, the plan that is going to see a, hub, uh, a couple of hubs around the hospital, one sort of out in the East End, and of course one on Fanshawe Park Road which we can discuss. Uh, Matt, uh, how close were you uh, watching that debate and that that discussion at uh, at City Hall this week? So a few years ago, I was actually living a few hundred meters from the contentious (laughs) hub. So I am am very well aware of it um, and the neighborhoods. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, it showed nimbyism, which is like not in my backyard, um, you know, right front and center. Um, everyone recognizes we need to do something to address homelessness. They know that we need to have wraparound services for hubs. Um, but the moment that they actually have a proposal for a location, um, anyone who is within a kilometer or kilometer and a half, they all have very strong opinions that um, we need this, but just not here. Um, and we've seen this everywhere. Um, this is not a new concept. Um, so you have to wonder if not here, where, and no one ever has a good answer to it. I was thinking, I was reflecting back when I, back on my school board days. And I remember when we converted a high school into Louise Arbor French immersion school being in public input. And there was actually a woman who said, I did not buy a million dollar home in the North end to have you ship my kid east of Adelaide. And that was a horrible sentiment, but it was actually shared by so many people. And it's so transferable of, you know, people in these neighborhoods do not think that they should be near these um, social services or exposed to that. Yeah, it's true. And there was was a little bit, obviously some of the letters were ridiculous. Some of them, like, I, I understand trepidation, but when you're talking about your Tim Hortons 1.8 kilometers away, I, like, I'm, I'm going to use a Stephen A. Smith meme. We do not care. We do not care. Uh, Scott, I'm, I'm sure you saw sort of the letters on the agenda, yep. and, and what, what did you think of all this? Um, well, first, full, full disclosure, I'm a, a board of director member for Youth Opportunities Unlimited, YOU, yes. and we um, are a proponent that's actually being considered as part of uh, the RFP that yep. uh, is before uh, debate, so i got to put that out there. Um, you know, for me, I, I'm a going to actually peel this back a little bit. I mean, the, the, the process, the way that we did it was was kind of interesting where, you know, you've got um, the service providers actually coming through with what their proposal is going to be in one stream. You have that matched up from a property perspective where you have uh, property owners, uh, development community, um, landowners, uh, what have you, actually putting forward the potential locations and then sort of in the... Uh, cover of an NDA, uh, non-disclosure agreement, uh, the two sides actually meet up to then, you know, have this marriage of convenience or inconvenience, as the case may be, to put together a uh, conjoined solution. So then the the challenge is this lands on the agenda on a Wednesday uh, afternoon before um, the meeting the following Monday. And the, the public doesn't have a lot of time to, you know, synthesize this and, and, and you know, really understand what it means. I mean, so that's and, number one. And Num- organized, let's yeah. be honest. Well, there's that too. Um, number two, um, I, I think this really speaks to um, some of the comms issues that we've actually had with respect to um, this whole process, right? You know, what is a hub? You know, people, you know, have, you know, their own ideas in their own mind in terms of, of, of you know, worst case scenario, and, and I mean, I, I think, you know, when you talk about Infotech at Queens is perhaps, you know, what people might refer to, you know, mentally when they think of a hub, 
we've not really done a good job in explaining that, you know, hey, this is really almost like a group home that, you know, exists across the city that are almost invisible to, you know, anyone that's actually, you know, going by, unless you really know that it's there. Um, so I, I think we have really done ourselves a, a disservice in terms of the comm stream and, 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 and having, you know, smart conversation around that. And, and I, I think that has resulted in the ability for, you know, fear and certainty and doubt to be in, injected into all of this. And I mean, you know, I, I looked at some of those letters on, on the agenda and I mean, I think it got up to all the way through the alphabet. It was like Z, Four, Z, yeah, Z, Z, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think all the way up to E, F. And I think I, I gave up at like C, J, um, where it's like, okay, I mean, we're getting more and more increasingly off the hook in terms of what this is going to be. And I don't look at that in terms of, of the fault of the letter writer. I actually look at that as the fault of us sitting, um, you know, because I'm sitting actually on a uh, strategy and accountability table as as chair of the, the business association um, and at the system foundations table, um, again, uh, as that chair to help and inform the solution. We need to actually stand back as an organization and say that we, went, we own this. And I'll, I'll call it a, a comms own goal um, in terms of actually having meaningful conversation with, with Londoners. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth, you voted in favor of, of, of these plans. Uh, why, why did you do that? And what do you think of what Scott just said? Um, I like Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I like you too. <laughs> um, I think part of the issue with the communication is we really are making the plan and informing it and making changes and adapting as it moves forward. So at any given point, you know, the report you read two weeks ago could be different right. than the report in two weeks with changes and adaptations made to make it better. The city did do their open houses. I certainly attended the one in the South End to hear from residents. And a lot of their questions were just, what's the accountability going to be? What's your, what marks success? How are you going to review this? Are you willing to redo things as you learn? And it was questions that are still being made in these reports and these tables that are informing the city and making the plan as we go. As for the residents, uh, I would say that the form letters are flying very quickly mm -hmm. into inboxes. I appreciate that people reach out. I get that a form letter is easy, not saying the information it necessarily is correct that, that we're given to them. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, I always like hearing your individual concern with it that I could actually dig into. I see a form letter, I'm like, yep, another one for yeah. yay or nay. Oh yeah. Versus like, oh, hey, this is my personal experience as a yeah. mom in the neighborhood. Um, and especially with that location looking to serve women and people concerned about seniors being vulnerable. Yes, but women are also vulnerable. So you're worried about these women who are getting help, who you are paying this narrative, are gonna go out in the community and attack all these seniors trying to get groceries on the way to Tim Hortons. A hundred like, form letters to me is worth like one well thought out letter from someone who actually like talks about the experience and takes the time. Um, I worked for a provincial MPP and you know it's you just get on the list and they are flowing and it really doesn't have the same impact um that being said I think my only advice with you know the city moving forward because I know there will be f further hubs like um you know the three or four we're talking about are not going to be the like everything um all wrapped up and be you know we're going to solve the issue of homelessness there um it's going to be good if they actually do things in stages and um, sort of here's phase one, here's phase two, because the, you know, the pressure that the counselors are going to get if the entire city is basically, you know, not to put it dramatically, but on fire where they're getting, you know, all of the this like, you know, pushback and everything, it could actually put the entire plan in jeopardy. So I think they need to be doing this, um, you know, in phases and trying to see how things are working and then moving on to the next one um, because the local councillors are going to be expected to represent their constituents they're going to be expected to vocalize um, you know the concerns that are being raised and it's really up to the other councillors you know to kind of look for the city's best interest um, and this is the unfortunate thing about only having one member of council the mayor who's elected citywide because you don't necessarily have that whole citywide approach, um, you know, 
every time. People are going to be dragged into having to represent, um, you know, the local business owner down the street, um, and they're going to expect that they have a voice at council. And this is the constant battle that councillors are going to have. And I just don't want us to have 15 hubs um, announced in one plan and it all fall apart because of that. So I do appreciate that they're, you know, doing a few here. The pushback right now is already telling of what's going to happen later down the line, right? And it's the question of, like, are you doing it, um, if it's politics, you're talking, like, you know, election cycles, are you doing that for, like, the people who need help now and responding just to the residents who live in that neighborhood now or the ones who are going to be there in four, eight years? Like, these plans, and I... And I received the people's feedback from the um, North End that they have lovely homes. They own a lot of material goods and they've worked hard and they pay property tax. But 100 years from now, 50 years from now, you're not going to be living in that house. Everyone here is going to be gone. Physically, we're not going to be around. That vehicle that you hold in such high regards is going to be in a scrapyard. Someone else is going to be living in your house. Like, but what about the family and the intergenerational things that have come from this plan that we're trying to build now? Is the London at that point in time going to be better for the work that we're doing now and the difficult conversations we're having? So, so this is water in the you know, frying pan right now. But let's be honest, we also have had the exact same arguments every time you know you brought up like a group home or like a halfway house or whatever every time something like that happens Inwell, um you know tries to put in a um you know a affordable housing unit um you know apartment building somewhere there is pushback every step of the way and as much as i appreciate that um from a communication perspective it'd be great if the people in ward seven had been told um, you know, ahead of time so they could digest and all this. At the end of the day, um, you know, it's it, they were never going to accept it. Um, they were never going to be completely okay with it. And, you know, council, once they actually push through this plan in a couple years, no one's even going to really think about it or remember it. Um, you know, and quite honestly, I also personally think like, Everyone knowing where, you know, homeless women and children who are fleeing abusive relationships are now going to be housed is actually not necessary. Like, I don't love all the attention that is being given to, like, what is the exact location where these people are going to go. Um, So, you know, I don't love that aspect of how this is, like, spinning out of control. Um, But, like, make no mistake, it was never going to be fully accepted and people were never going to go quietly. No, uh, but this is what I said, and this is kind of what faced what Elizabeth and her colleagues the other night, is if you're going to start moving these things because there's big neighborhood opposition, you're not going to be able to put them anywhere. Yeah. Where? <laughs> that's, you know what I mean? They're just not, unless you stick them all in downtown and Old East Village, and I don't think that's a good idea. That's not what we want to do. And I, Scott, I, I, I would well, I mean, you I, I, I think, you know, a couple things. One, um, Atlosa and YOU were actually... Um, across the street from each other yep. on the grounds of LHSC and, and Parkwood. I mean, I actually think that, you know, Parkwood in terms of the available space that's there and the Crown land that's actually down there, you know, potentially could be a good, reasonably central place to the city where yep. we could actually start, you know. And Atlos has been running programs there for right. a while. They did a response there and it worked out pretty good. Very yeah. successfully. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's, that's great. And to be honest, I, I also think from a client perspective that, there should be a certain level of um, discretion afforded them. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, we're all aware of what happened on Horton Street um, with uh, the CMHA facility that was actually there at 448 and the, the neighborhood vigilanteism yes. and stuff. Like, so, I, Matt, I actually, I, I hear your point with respect to, you know, wanting to provide people with, with safety, safe space. Yeah. Um, where, if, if I'm going to put on my, my BIA hat, the, the one thing that I, I think I'm a little bit concerned about, unfortunately, is the velocity at which we are doing this first round in terms of the, the numbers of beds that are actually provided, whether it's you know through um, the transitional beds, which are, are the beds that actually have the supports that um, help to stabilize people, that will give them the 724 care that they need so that they can get themselves prepared to graduate off to supportive housing when we stand that up in the community. I, I, I think, you know, 
there's that and there's also the respite beds which is you know really sort of cycle in cycle out come in you know get grounded get you know the immediate health needs that you you uh, uh, can can acquire in situ, but then you know you're back out at the grind, right? So we're going to only have 18 transitional beds stood up by the end of of this year, and I think it's 26 of the the respite beds to finally get to a a total of 73 by um, uh, next summer. That for me, you know, just given you know. All of the hope and urgency that was communicated at the summits that we had last fall and then uh, going into January and and the press announcement in February of of this year, you know, that urgency, I, I, you know, I understand that we're wanting to be careful here, um, but, you know, the same vein, we have got, you know, roughly 650 individuals, high acuity individuals that, you know, Mm -hmm. desperately need this kind of support. um, And we aren't standing to meet that no. demand yet. And where that actually plays out, unfortunately, is in the downtown. You know, yep. I mean, I know that. And Old East Village. Old East Village. You know, when I, you know, you know, come in, you know, to uh, the studio here, you know, I'm not coming off the front door anymore. We're, you know, uh, coming off the back parking lot. Right. right. I mean, you know, so you like, we all know what's 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 going on here. So um, for me, that that would only be, you know, the only frustration point. Uh, what I will say from a YU perspective, um, we've got. Um, nine tr- transitional beds that will be standing up and six respite beds that we'll actually be able to have ready to go by Christmas. Our hope is, because we actually have our own housing stock at YOU, is that we'll actually be able to cycle people through um, 15 uh, youth once a quarter. So we'll actually have a throughput of 60 on the year. Um, Could that number increase, you think, once Jones Place is completed? Um, yes and no, just because there's a target population for, for Jones Place sure. as well. We're actually going to carve out a couple of units uh, for Jones Place to um, support these populations. We've also got a, an additional shelter space um, over on Clark Road as well. Um, and then um, other housing supports that we've actually um, got within the city. So, I mean, <clears throat> the, the, the challenge with this whole plan that we've got is that on the critical path, it's the... Supportive housing, like the indwell model with the wraparound supports, mm-hmm. that right now is capacity constrained in terms right. of we just don't have those doors yet. And you know, the, the Chinese proverb in terms of you know the you know best time to have planted a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is you know now. We really need to get moving on um, that housing, and you know. Thankfully, we actually now have a, a new uh, local-ish uh, minister, uh, associate minister of housing uh, with Mr. Flack, um, who's obviously got local market knowledge uh, just because he's Elgin, Middlesex, London. Um, and he actually has and that federally, portfolio. The and Peter Fragascatos, yeah. actually, yeah. I had uh, a meeting actually yesterday with Ryan Goss talking about uh, uh, Mr. Fragascatos' new responsibilities and, and just how that actually would mean uh, in, in the London realm. So that is my only sort of, of, of reservation with respect to mm-hmm. this. I mean, you know, the, I think the public, we can actually manage. Um, the public measurement for me, um, is going to be, and you know, you think I talked about Sonny James the last a couple times ago when yep. I was here, is that homeless person that you know personally through interaction, if you see them still on the street while we've stood this all up, is that your litmus test in terms of whether this is pass-fail? And I think for a lot of disinterested people, it's, you know, oh, they're spending a whole bunch of money, and yet I still see Buddy What's-His-Name doing But some thing. people are not going to see Buddy What's-His-Name. Correct. And and that's going to be sort of the, the differentiating marker. And I, and I know this is mentioned quite a bit at the meeting, Elizabeth, is, hey, we have this number of people who are high acuity, this number of people who are homeless, and this, this plan isn't going to help all of them. I, I didn't see a plan that was going to help 2,000 people, though. I don't think that's coming through the door. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so I think that, and, and, and that's not anybody's fault. I just don't think that such a plan is something the city can take on. So, like, so that's make. the concern, right? Yeah. Because you have a plan that you've just identified might help 50 people. Like, you got you know, it. That's why you, but you know, yeah. while you yeah. and everything, and you have these other plans. So, like, but, you know, I don't want to use, like, like, terms like drop in the bucket, but there are other programs right now. Like, it's not like we are creating, like, something from scratch, right? You have the Center for Hope. You have Mission Service. You have these other things. But we're all identifying that it there needs to be more. Um, you know, Inwell opens up, a like, a new 72-bed facility. There's probably 300 people waiting to get in there, right? So 
Um, and every time council's being asked to approve another in-well facility, there's a lot of opposition in Soho or wherever. So, you know, I feel for council that they're trying to do um, things as quickly as possible, but you know, you have labor shortages, you have the trades issues, you have um, funding, all these sort of issues going at the same time. So, you know, it's good that they at least have a plan, Craig, but um, no, it's not going to resolve 2000 people on the street tomorrow. No, And and that's, I don't think anyone, like you could have, you could have, you get, you know, $80 million dropping your doorstep tomorrow. I don't know if you were necessarily going to be able to solve 2000 people off the street tomorrow. It's the issue of mobilizing and recognizing the needs. Um, And if people are just like, I just don't want to see them. I still need housing to put it in. Housing takes so long to build. Build. We need all the different housing across the continuum to be built from single standalone homes to, you know, bachelor apartments. I need those across the entire city, just not concentrated in one area. And talking to developers, you know, it's the interest rates are at a certain point, supply chain issues are another place, interest rates are here. And it's like, you know, the industry's shifting of some of them have halted and paused their residential builds. And I'm like, I need them. And they're like, well, we're reevaluating if those are gonna be condos now, rentals, like, you know, if there's other provincial or federal housing money that they can tap into, like just the industry's in such a huge flux. Well, yes. I think the, the, the GST uh, change that uh, was announced, you know, a couple of weeks ago, will, in terms of, of refunding the federal portion of, of GST for purpose-built rentals, um, I think will help build some traction in, in, in the marketplace. Um, and it's certainly through Associate Minister Flack's office, I mean, it'll be interesting to see um, through municipal affairs, you know, if there's, you know, whether it's matching or, or something complementary that can actually, you know, unlock, you know, uh, capital and, and, and checkbooks and the parts of developers. Because, you know, we're using their ingenuity and their perseverance and and their capital to build the cities that we want, right? Yeah, so like, I, I don't think a 5% reduction in GST is going to determine whether or not some of these companies, like, go forward. Like, the challenge they're having is their interest rates have gone up 5%, right? A so year, if it's the full 13% year. for the HST. Well, eight, but PST, pro- well, HST. If the, if, the province, if the province, it's the same thing, what I'm saying. Let's right. take the full, let's take the sure. full 13 off. You know, so let's talk to Minister Flack and say, hey, like right. you need to like take the lead of your federal liberal um, cousins, which of course they're going to want to say they came up with the idea themselves. Well, but the, um, the liberals actually stole it from, from Mr. Polyev. So yeah, <laughs> uh, well, the, the liberal Mr. Polyev stole it from the 2015 liberal right. platform. Yeah. So, so everyone steals from everybody. They're all stealing yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a n- new idea here. Um, but yeah, do I think 5% is going to all, all of a sudden unlock all of this building? Like, um, I think you have issues with trade shortages. Yeah. You have supply chain issues that were delaying things during COVID and continue to today. Like, these are all issues that haven't gone away. And there's a lot of things um, they're trying to do, but it's much bigger than, you know, oh, we've reduced the cost of your building by 5%. Therefore, um, you know, you're going to start building now. It's not going to. But you know, it, it has perhaps enough to actually shift a performa. I mean, particularly when you've got CMHC, um, you know, bonds actually available and, and lending available. I mean, one of the other hats that they wear is that I'm on the board of directors for Residential Affordable Housing. So we're actually building um, in uh, Soho um, alongside Indwell, um, actually on the other side of, of Colburn. We're going to have 185, I think, units um, there that we're putting up. And, you know, really, that's what we're looking at. Like, I mean, our, our, our pro forma is very tight in terms of our mix between, you know, what market rent is and what our affordable is, just as, you know, we had to absorb a 36.5% construction pricing index shock in terms of the cost of steel and concrete and, and rebar, the things that you actually need to, you know, put up an apartment building. Um, and that, you know, greatly, you know, swings uh, your financials. But a, a 5%, you know, uh, you know, tip actually is, I, I think, Matt, I, I'll argue it's actually meaningful for, you know, those applications actually close to the razor's edge, right? Um, you know, the other thing that I just remind everybody is we've got, I think it's 18,000 and change approved units that are actually already zoned and ready to go that have not yet been developed in the city of London. So I can it, only approve it, can't I can build it. Exactly. So I mean, you know, mm-hmm. there's there are some that are, you know, they never ever were builders, right? I mean they they got the lot, they got the zoning for it, 
and they're just waiting to actually sell it, right? Um, but there are builders that are just waiting for you know a, an appropriate economic condition, and I'm wearing my my residenza hat. Um, that's where we're at right now is, you know, we're trying to balance our business case. And, you know, for us, that 5% actually does become um, a meaningful and, and useful tool. And I'm, you know, appreciative of, of Minister Fraser and and uh, Peter to actually, you know, get that one across the finish line, or I guess at least get into the house, because I think it's only a second reading right now. I think they're all waiting, though, a year for interest rates to drop. Yeah. And that's going to be you know, they're all hoping in a year interest rates are at 1% lower and the year after it might be another percent. And that's going to be having like a dramatic and like immediate impact on these things. So, you know, the Bank of Canada keeps saying inflation is, um, you know, too high, but actually a huge portion of inflation is because housing costs have gone up because they've increased interest rates. So they're like, once they deal with this whole issue, I think that whole industry can get back on their feet yeah, that's uh, that's obviously the hope I've got is that we start seeing some movement on that sooner rather than later. We are seeing some movement on it, and I do want to talk about that a little bit later in the in the podcast about a potential very very large, I would say perhaps transformative project in the downtown. But I do want to ask you all about one thing before we wrap up, uh, just on the the hubs conversation, and that would be integrity commissioner's complaints. Uh, surrounding uh, Councillor Stevenson. Uh, I know that uh, the mayor has acknowledged that he has seen several of the complaints that he, his office has been copied on. I would suspect that uh, you, you've seen yeah, some of those as well. Were, there were some that all councillors were copied on, and uh, then it was just making sure that they knew. And any resident, the information on the city website, if you have a concern about how any of us are conducting ourselves, it's an open process for anyone to lodge a concern with the Integrity Commissioner. Uh, so that's the situation right now. Uh, I don't know if Elizabeth, if you want to comment on this publicly, you're more than welcome to if you'd like to. Uh, but Matt, do you? Uh, uh, let's let's so, let's let's, let's so put the lawyer hat on Matt for a second. But also, like yeah. as the former chair of the school board, we also had code of conduct complaints. We would call them. You know, that would be sent to integrity commissioners for sure. Jake Skinner had a few that. Hey, pretty well I uh, I remember some of um, those, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I remember getting a lawyer letter about that myself. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, here, here's the issue with the code of conduct for municipal elected individuals. Um, there is literally no teeth to it, the legislation. And the very worst that they can do is essentially um, dock them three months pay. Right. Maybe remove them from some committees. And that is extreme. And a couple years ago, you had... Michael Van Holtz, who was actively telling people to ignore, you know, city and provincial health directives um, and, you know, basically mobilizing people against masking and everything. And when it came to council, a majority of them did, you know, even though it was, seven, seven it was a 7-7 seven, seven split. Yeah. I voted for you, disciplinary actions. Yes, yes. I remember. <laughs> and honestly, it should have been a 14-0 split, yes. to be perfectly frank, because the integrity commissioner there actually found he had violated it. And so I think you just have a bad precedent um, set by that, that quite honestly, I don't think Stu um, Susan Stevenson's conduct amounts to nearly as egregious and horrible as what Michael Van Holt's um, actions were. And yet, you know, so like- Different council now though. Different council, but like there is a precedent and two years later, you know, like th the problem is discipline of this nature should not be done on a whim based on, you know, whether you like the person or not or the council at the time. Right. There needs to be some standards and there needs to be precedent set and there you need to compare um, action versus action on an objective scale. Right, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you how Elizabeth's going to vote, but we, we, she just said, you know, she voted last time, yes, we should discipline yeah. Councillor Van Holst, so therefore, we don't know what the complaint's going to look like, but if someone who had voted last time the discipline Councillor Van Holst voted that way again, wouldn't that be the, consistent? But the problem, Isn't their vote consistent but then? There, there's such a, a, a problem with, especially with school boards, where um, people just will make complaints all the time against fellow trustees and it actually has the opposite effect of making people scared to speak to the media speak out um, of turn because um, then it is you know they're afraid to actually vocalize um, for fear of 
being found that they aren't upholding the principles of public education or some generic, you know, all-encompassing term there. So, you know, I just caution people that, um, you know, you don't have to like what Susan is doing. There have been really bad tweets and, um, like, ideas that have come out of former counselors even before Susan or Michael Van Holst was on council about chicken coops in their backyards and whatnot <laughs> um, that, you know, like for you to start regulating and doing using, like, I just don't want to see people weaponize yeah. the, the integrity commissioner or code of conduct complaints or all of these things. Um, you need to hold each other accountable. But honestly, until the legislation changes, it's all bloody lip service because but I would like, also say we have no means to hold each other accountable besides no. procedurally this is proper protocol for motions and yep. discussions like that is the only thing we have um, and then for me it's also the concern of if there's an issue and a concern when a counselor is misrepresenting the votes of counsel that yeah. is not helping with the public discussion of what the heck is happening yeah, it, it's it, it, like I like who is out there spreading what messaging and is it actually helping the community move forward together or is it just creating more division within the community yeah, yeah. and hatred like we are seeing residents go out and physically attack frontline workers and those coming out for help yep. there's that was in the media I know it's happening in other places where they're coming to offer help to unhoused Londoners and residents are coming to their homes to kick the people coming out for that water in a sandwich right like right. physically assaulting each other. Like you want a sandwich that bad? No one said you can't have that sandwich. You want to yeah. line up and get it? Go friggin' do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to your point, Maddie, when you, you talk about weaponizing of of uh, the code of conduct and and the integrity commissioner, and, and I completely agree. I mean, you know, when you go to that well too many times, it just becomes entirely feckless. Number one, number two. I mean, I think really the only real measure for me. Um, is until this actually becomes a decided matter of counsel. So until then, you know, it's yeah. debate, right? And you should actually be held to account to your bona fides with respect to debate. And I think, you know what, uh, Councillor Stevenson, you know, represents an interest that is on the opposite side of where a lot of people are. And, you know, quite honestly, in particular social media, and if, if I already, you know, look at Twitter slash X, and perhaps the, the, where it is positioned on the continuum of, of political thought, you know, Susan is probably a salmon swimming upstream and yep. <laughs> Twitter is, is somewhere else. So I, I can actually see where, you know, that's going to be elbows up and just the I agree of with that. reflexive it's, stuff. It's, 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 it's a tough arena, but I will say this. The, the complaints that came in before this one, uh, before the one that we got from, from last this weekend, yeah. um, those ones, like, you'd have to kind of squint to see how it's a violation. And I'm not really sure. And, uh, you know, it depends on who you talk to and how you're reading the act. To me, like, if if you're posting pictures of people who are identifiable, not direct, but, like, you know, identifiable people and but, accusing them of committing except, crimes. Except, you know, except but, that but CDC actually did yeah, the yeah, very it, same thing it, five I, years ago. I, and, yeah, and they shouldn't have. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, two wrongs doesn't make a right. Yeah, right? And exactly. I get that, right? But I mean, you know, I, 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 but I, I find it rather time. disingenuous that you know we get up on our high horses with respect to you know what you or I can see, whether I'm riding on the number two Dundas or the six Richmond, looking at the bus window or walking yeah. past on the street, versus I've now taken a picture and put it on social media. Do I think that's in good taste to actually have a face with that? No, but you know what? I also think that there is, you know, just wearing again my downtown London hat, where there are so many people that have written off our downtown because of the conditions of our downtown, where they've found substitute downtowns, whether it's been Fanshawe Park in Richmond or out in Byron or out in Argyle um, or, or, you know, down in, in White Oaks, um, where they don't come here. I actually think it is instructive. And unfortunately, yeah, it is jarring, but it's mm -hmm. instructive that we see that this so, is the condition. But of we're our also city. accusing people of theft. Yeah, so that, that's that's but, that's crossing a line. But, but for me. what that's crossing and, a line. And don't get me wrong; like yeah. I don't agree with what Susan did there. Um, the issue that I've read though from the mayor and the deputy mayor is you shouldn't be taking people's picture and posting it without their permission. I really take a bit of issue with that because how many times have they taken a photo on stage or with people? And um, you know, at the school board, we have written permission for every child in order to be in any sort of media. If they mm -hmm. aren't, the principal is pulling them out of um, meetings. 
We don't have that. So, like, um, to me, it's a bit disingenuous. Like, but I understand that. But other ones, like with the the public service we do, you're at a public event, absolutely different in schools. There's permission. But for the unhoused individuals, you're essentially in their freaking bedroom taking a picture of them as they sleep on the street. And being I, like, and, and look I don't at agree. how they're living. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I wouldn't have done it. Like, yeah. to me, it's like poor taste. But privilege. But... but like for them to basically call them out as that is the reason of like you didn't have their permission to do it. First off, yeah. like how, like I, I would want to actually how, how do we know? On that, yeah, right? no, yeah. and I, I and I don't think that, that I don't think that the integrity commissioner to me to me I feel the I feel that the line is crossed when you're accusing someone of criminal behavior. Yeah, with no evidence. Yeah, that that to me is is the is the big violation there, and that that to me is where because like, the other stuff we're talking about, okay, posting articles from different municipalities, and you know, there, there's opinion pieces that people didn't necessarily like. You have to really try hard to see how that's a, a violation, and and, and if, just if, because you don't agree with their exactly, position, that's not a violation. Mean it's a violation, and I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. and you don't have to like the position. I, I'm and not we saying don't. you do. <laughs> uh, but when you're talking about posting photos and accusing people of criminal behavior that to me is you've crossed the rubicon there that's how i think that's how i see it at the very least what, what, what does the integrity commissioner agree with me i have no idea we're gonna find out but that's how that's how i see it so has that been advanced as a as a formal complaint yes it has but yes at least according to what i've been, i haven't seen the complaints and i i don't know if elizabeth can but again there's gonna be two stages right that they will investigate they have a complaint yes. multiple complaints i think they will do an investigation right. they will look at it from whether or not it violated um the code of conduct and things like that but then it will be up to the council to actually decide what is the recourse what but is the punishment well, yes things. they the will but you know we may or so. may not now now you need eight out that, of um uh, 14 because we know that they're going to be conflicted out um, no well, van holst wasn't i i disagree from a lawyer's perspective it was, how all, you it can, was tied to the pecuniary interest that there was yeah. no if, financial there was no, and, and sorry, it was only and, just a verbal and if right. i would have been on council i would have been insisting on a three-month doc pay for him which would have conflicted him out and right. then he would have had it but anyway that's, <laughs> my, that's my strategic um, <laughs> political view there but yeah. well th that one was was shocking we don't need to relitigate that yeah. one but i like that like and, and that still baffles it, me. That it still yeah. baffles me, and I don't need. I, I've there's there's enough anger between me and people who are involved in that. We don't need to increase it today, but uh, that's just the way <laughs> things are. We don't are. need letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I can live with letters, but that's fine. Uh, that was not uh, that's not a great vote. Uh, let's uh, let's move on now. But before we do that, I do want to remind folks that the Craig Needles podcast is brought to you by the good people over at Clearview Auto Glass. I want to move on and talk about housing because we were just discussing that a little bit. There's a whole lot of housing potentially coming to the downtown core. At planning this week, we are going to see a big giant building that the forks that you, uh, the folks at York Development want to build at the forks of the Thames. There we go, Craig. Uh, that uh, is going to be uh, what I, I think Councillor Lehman uh, called it a, a transformative downtown project. I can't remember if he said that in the in the media or to me yesterday because I saw him at the at the WSIB announcement. Either way, uh, it's a massive project, and I am staunchly in favor. And I am someone who lives not very far from where that building is going to be. But are you so going to be? Are you going to be shadowed? I was going to say you're going to be question. living in the shadow. I will not. Your kids will never see the daylight again. <laughs> Oh, no, not my backyard. Uh, I will say this. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be living in the shadow unless we build it a lot taller than it is. Right. Uh, and somehow the sun moves to the north. I am, I am, I am, and somehow the sun moves to the north. I'm on the other side of the river from there. We don't need to get into exactly where I live. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I am, uh, I, I think I can classify myself as a neighbor. And I would love to see this building. And if we're talking about putting commercial, like say a grocery store at the bottom of the building, yeah. Sounds phenomenal to me. Need a downtown grocery store besides Lobes or whatever they call it it's now. It's Value Mart. It's right Value here. Mart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my neighborhood grocery store. I, I love I, the that. The grocery that, store that we love to forget. I love that's that Value fine. Mart. It is. Um, you know, I, I also think Oxford is sort of like when I was a student was the boundary for downtown. So it's just like adjacent. But yeah, I um, agree with that. Yeah. Compared to like other cities where they have downtown grocery stores, like we really are lacking with that. So like if you can get more commercial and retail and things like that um, in that building with a beautiful high rise, um, they're building it on, you know, after the health unit like moved out of um, 
you know the old building they've tore it down and this is like the plan they're bringing forward um you know it, it's the perfect location when you're looking at sort of the master plans and the London plan and like everything where like we talk about where these high rises should be they should be along transit hubs or sort of these iconic um you know areas um but every time we look at a high rise adjacent to victoria park nimbyism and like the people come out um you know saying like it can't be this tall so it'll be interesting if people mobilize um, a lot of them are going to be in the adjacent um condo buildings that are 40 stories up and now they're going to it's going to ruin their view of um you know the thames not my problem and in my mind not a, a compelling argument of why you should prevent you know the type of housing um that we need and here is a an opportunity to get a whole lot of units um you know for people I'm not going to call them affordable because we know they're not going to be, um, you know, geared for that population. But um, the more units you have in the market, the, the better, the, 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 better the better, the better the likelihood of someone yeah. who needs the affordable unit finding the affordable yeah, unit. Absolutely, get people out from other units to free up, um, you know, stuff in the market. So, right, you know, hopefully. Um, but I've seen this over and over play out for the last 20 years um, that I've been paying attention locally and every time there's something that is a high rise um you know in the renaissance one and two went through this mm -hmm. um azure like all of them have gone through like this type of opposition and then there's a negotiation they knock off like floors um but yeah we'll see i didn't even necessarily think that they needed um because it was actually county of middlesex um property that they actually needed any approval from the city of London. So that's been interesting. So York Development owns it now. Yes. Uh, but from so when it county. was, yeah, when it was sold, there was a 20 story, I think. Like 20, uh, I, yeah. 20 yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so obviously not nearly as tall as York wants to build it now. But half, half of it, yeah. <laughs> but we well, about a quarter of it. Yeah, yeah. we need that because yeah, it was it was yeah. it was owned for one building, yeah. not yeah. two. Uh, we need the building. Yeah, we just we just need the building. And and, and Scott, obviously from your downtown London, yeah. had, I'm sure the idea of 800 new households coming to the core not a bad idea. Uh, not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, here's here, well, one yes, we're we're totally in favor. I I think um, the address is actually going to be iconic. You know, the the, the view, uh, the oh, location in terms of the forks of the, of the Thames. Now I. I I did read the application and it was like 83 pages long and like the last 30 pages was email after email after email to Sonia Wise who's the the, the planner on the file. She's um, so lucky. <laughs> she's so lucky. Various <laughs> levels of effective with, with respect to off? opposition to the project. I think I saw one email um, out of all the 30 pages or so that I read that was actually uh, in favor and unfortunately it was just like one line um, but the the development in terms of you know people who don't know I mean it's, it's actually pretty exciting I mean not too many people actually wade through a planning application um, and the newspaper doesn't necessarily get into the story uh, details but no. ground level retail um, and then actually podium on the building where you know usually we're doing above ground parking. The parking section going to be all um, underneath the building, which is great. Um, ground floor uh, retail with uh, lobby and sort of accessorial use there. And then uh, floors two, three, and four are actually going to be commercial, so um, uh, office space, which I think is is great. I mean, yes, it's going to be compounding to our. Um, uh, occupancy issue that we've got in the downtown, and I'm going to talk about that in just a sec. Um, and then the residential on top of that, so 43 foot, uh, 43 floor tower, and a 53 uh, floor tower. Um, yes, they they are tall, um, but they're actually you know small footprint towers, so they're not you know monolithic. So you know people who are worried about shadowing, people who are worried about you know wind effects. The design actually sort of well does take that into account, um, and the height on the building really speaks to the economics of actually putting a building up, right? Where you need to actually get the units to average down the cost because the cost of construction amortized over a smaller number of units is 
so much higher that you know right. that your pricing just becomes stupid, right? Right. So I understand the, the here's the number the of dollars we want to make off each unit, and that number can increase the more units we put in. Right. That's so it. I mean, there's there's obviously upside for the developer, but it's also to get the the cost down in terms of affordability of for the people who are actually going to be going into that, whether it's a purchase model or it's it's a and if model. the people at York Developments, a company in London that you know employs a lot of people here in London, want to make a few bucks off that. That is fine with yeah, me. Well, but they that is buy, fine with They me. didn't buy the property yeah. to lose money off of no, it. Like they're exactly. not a charity. They're not right. in the yeah. business of that. And you know, this is the thing. You know, we are. You know, we, we all talk about the city that we want to build, and we have all these guardrails in terms of what it is we can and cannot do. And and yet we have to remember that we are reliant on the perseverance and the ingenuity and the capital of you know private developers to actually build the city that we want. You know, the city's building you know sewer, sewers and roads. But in terms of you know the built environment of the city, that's you know the private enterprise that's actually doing that. We we seem to always pejoratively look at um, developers as you know this yeah. evil mess, right? And yeah. and you know we actually need them. Um, and yes, we need to keep them on leashes, but we we need them just as much as they need it, us. It's interesting you talked about though, like there is a huge vacancy rate for commercial, yeah. um, and you're worried that adding you know more might have an impact i have to tell you that like as a major law firm in the city um who looked at potential um other space the amount of locations um that have vacant office space of fifteen thousand to seventeen thousand square feet very few um and you know things that could be possible such as westmount commons like isn't zoned properly um and honestly like one like landlord seems to own like half of like the vacant space in downtown. Oh, so you know. <laughs> now that you mention it, so like, yeah, I was trying to like throw, pull a number out of the air, but um, you know, so when you actually look at these type of projects, like this would be absolutely something that you know um, we would be interested in looking at in the future yeah. because there isn't the options. People think there's lots of options. There are not the options. Um, when you're looking at large um, scale office space that you need. So, um, you know, I think those are the type of things it's, it's going to be right next to the courthouse. You're going to have a lot of law firms wanting to like scoop up, um, yeah. you know, a space right there. So I think it could be a great um, project here. Yeah, I think the, the broader challenge, you know, again, putting on my downtown London hat is that um, the the planning for this, you know, in terms of you know what it could have been, what it should be, it has been a little bit disjointed, and you know I, I think, you know, we know that the official plan is actually coming up for uh, refresh the, mm -hmm. the London plan. Um, now know, that we, it's finally fully in effect. Yeah, uh, <laughs> time to change it. We've got you know our move forward, which is the downtown London plan, which needs um, a, a refresh and, and teeth. You know, we've had sort of an, an exogenous upset with COVID. And, you know, the change uh, in terms of, you know, people actually coming to work and bumps and seats in offices where, you know, we have a 25.7% vacancy rate in the downtown, but a lot of that actually is leased in, in name um, that once those leases expire, there's no sublease that's actually going to be, you know, uh, going Renewed, to fill that yeah. space. So that, that other shoe is actually going to drop as well. Um, so I, I honestly think, you know, we, we have all these things actually coming together and, and um, we really do need to step back and have a long-term strategic vision for what we want our downtown to, to be. So, you know, figuring what the mix is in terms of, of return to work with WSIB, you know, unfortunately we're going to have a net loss of 400 jobs in the downtown as they come out of uh, Old Oak and, and go into the 3M building. A lot of them don't work downtown. They well, already work They're already home. working from so home. Exactly. I read that. I know people who work at WSIB. I sue them all the time. Um, and let me, <laughs> so let me tell you, they are working from home. Yeah. It is but not I mean, a situation. But that, that, that also speaks to our broader issue here, right? Is it's going to you know, save you some money as far as serving people goes. Uh, <laughs> just drive down ones. there. Just yeah. email them. Yeah. Like, but it's, you know, having bumps and seats in offices and, and understanding what that return to work is actually going to look like in a post-COVID world. How much true vacant space do we have? What's our business retention and attraction strategy? Um, what other things that we do in terms of commercial to res conversion? And that's um, that's the big one right there is we need some. And I, I know that's not cheap. 
Yeah, I understand the commercial res conversion is not inexpensive, but it's going to have to happen. Yeah, but the, you know the thing is that you know we have to just be careful in the sense that we don't want to be a bunch of five year olds chasing after a soccer ball and running across yeah. the field, and we're all going to be horny for um, commercial to res conversion because you know quite honestly. Um, you know, and I'll use the Bell Building because I worked there and practically slept there for a lot of my uh, adult. So it life. already was residential. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I had like the George Costanza hammock yeah, thing yeah, underneath, yeah. Uh, underneath my credenza. Um, you know, call center environment: four hundred fifty people on the floor. You convert that, uh, and roughly forty-two hundred square meters. You convert that to residential. You can get between eighteen and twenty units. A mix of one and two bedrooms, 1.53 persons per unit, which is the average in the downtown. That 450 people melts to, you know, 30, 31. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we've got but to be the aware hours, of that. And the hours spent in the core probably stays and, roughly and the, the well, same. No, so yeah. so the economic you know uptake of those people in terms of restaurants they go to and the yeah. things that they're doing in the downtown is different than you know the person who's working downtown and, and then gets flowers at the market and a key and cut goes and, to and, and goes to Masonville, yeah. right? So understand that. So, but you know, rents in downtown for commercial, I can tell you, they aren't going down. Everyone thought with COVID and all the vacancy that you would see um, rents going down. It's not. Parking continues to go up. Like there's staff being asked to pay. a month for parking in downtown London at, you know, these buildings. Like, it's just unsustainable. And I think the commercial real estate owners are doing this to themselves because, um, of course, you know, insurance companies and, you know, government agencies and every, you know, for WSIB to save $70 million a year from moving from downtown Toronto. Over 10 years, but yeah. uh, So the number is like 70 million though. Yeah. And it's like to be able to save that just by doing one decision, like, of course they're going to do this. And insurance companies are going to be seeing this, like, um, you know, so they don't need three levels now they only need one and you know those are that's going to be the future so yeah it'll it'll be interesting i think the downtown's going to look very different so to your point getting more people living down here is only going to help but i I also think that we need need to 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 plan for this appropriately right like i mean you know again we've done a lot of things in terms of uh, building great things in the downtown and you know look at assets like the john or sorry uh, budweiser gardens the the market you know the central branch of the library great sort of anchor things but you know do we have a strategic plan that accounts for all of these moving piece parts in terms of, and you know, what it is that we actually want to be 20 years from now? I think now is a really, really good time to, you know, be doing that now that we sort of got COVID, hopefully, knock on wood, um, in the rearview mirror. Um, and Wish then I begin to understand that, but, what, <laughs> you know, the new paradigm is with respect to return to work, you know, because a lot yeah. of, you know, call center type jobs that would normally be, you know, white collar, pink collar, um, jobs within the core, they've all been moved out to, to telework. So, you know, I'm, I'm you know, to come back, I'm, I'm super excited for for uh, York's proposal. I, you know, oh, yeah. I, think, I think it's going to be iconic. And, and I just want, I want council to have the intestinal right. fortitude to actually stay. Oh, I would be it. floored. And yeah. if, if they, they do, I will be like shocked and like, yeah. uh, you know, amazed. Have but you read enough on it to make a call on where you stand on the building? I think there's always that wiggle room, like you said, of like a couple floors. floors and sure. I and I do appreciate when some people say like, you know, it's it was one building, now it's two. But it's yeah. like, is it actually narrower or have a bigger flow than this big massive object in front of you? And I've been speaking to some developers about the conversion of commercial to residential of class A, B and C property yep. and um having their insights and to Scott's point, it's you know, we might think like we'll fill that space, but you're only getting so many residents right. per per area. And some of them are saying, you know, running the numbers, unless there's big subsidies, it's actually cheaper for me to demolish the building and come back with something potentially visionary mm-hmm. or that is new and modern. So it's that thing of like, are we going to force a conversion because we subsidize so much and it's still going to be ugly and not actually suit what we need or where people right. want to live. Demolishing, though, the old health unit building was the best thing like it needed to happen. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. And as the chair of the health <laughs> unit, I am telling you it needed to happen. It was like built in the 70s it was disgusting there was hardly any um like windows and natural light it yeah. was just yeah. like like honestly it was not an appealing or as inviting. a former member of the health unit board too, yes. i completely uh, concur with your motion uh, yeah well, it was I, the best I, move they made yeah. was, was to move to city plaza yes yeah. that was a great that, that was a good move obviously there were some 
bumps in that particular row. We don't need to go down that far, but uh, uh, that that uh, that was a good move as far as locations go. Uh, I, I I've always covered a lot of stories in that old building. Uh, some uh, funnier than others. Remember the whole uh, remember the whole uh, Adventures of Sex City. That was that was one. Of, you remember that the like the video game they created for for sexual health education. Oh my gosh! It was. I, I think this was, was like, before my time. Right? Yeah, it was. I was probably in high school. Like. <laughs> you're only you're like a year younger than me. Uh, That's but how you that, not get invited yeah. back. Right there. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, it was. Um, it was yeah, that was an all timer. That, that that was that was an all timer as well. Say, yeah. Uh, ask Dan Flaherty about it next time you see it. He'll he'll have a good laugh out about it too. Uh, last thing before we go, very quickly, uh, Speaker of the House no longer there because uh, whoops, you invited a Nazi to work. Uh, not not what you're supposed to do. Yeah, every now and then, just gosh darn it, just happens. Uh, so, uh, but to be fair, I think he invited a constituent yeah. who turned out to be a Nazi. Yeah, uh, and I think that's an important distinction. He didn't actually purpose. Obviously, like know. go on the Nazi like KKK website <laughs> yeah. and like yeah. try and find Nazi his local, Tinder. <laughs> yeah, his local oh like grandmaster. Right. Like <laughs> you know, oh, I'm yeah. gonna go to the okay. you know, you're wearing a white hood. Do you want to yeah. come over to Parliament now? Like yes. that's not what happened, right? No. Um, but so it was still a colossal. It's bad. Colossals doesn't even actually begin to describe yeah. the size of it. I mean, you you know, just it was an international embarrassment. Well, yeah, it, just something so like inexplicably well explicably but just crazily offensive to the jewish community on the eve of yom kippur like you know you couldn't have timed this you know any more uh badly than that your political opponents could not plan that yeah and i didn't i didn't even fully under like realize it's till reading about it after but um the whole war in ukraine like the propaganda coming out of russia is that they're actually saving um, them from this anti-Semite um, Ukrainian state and now there's like this former Nazi I don't know if he's a war criminal but you know like he might as well be like being applauded by parliament with the Ukrainian president there like it, it just became this whole international embarrassment because and now Russia is using this as propaganda yeah. like it's bad it's really bad I, I just think it's you know just the loss of history right like i mean you know the enemy of your enemy is not your friend right and you know well just how did no maybe one... i'm old enough to remember you know the the, the antagonist and protagonist yeah. of the second world war and that actually would never gotten past my vetting yeah do you remember the whole germany thing when we split up germany and we gave some to the russians it wasn't because russia was on germany's side that's right. not why we did that <laughs> uh but, that, but to, to yeah. your question how did this even happen yeah i know exactly how this happened because people will like you have overworked, um, you know, staff members who should be kind of vetting this, but you had a local, like, you know, constituent who is simply like, hey, I'm going to be in Ottawa. And they're like, oh, we, um, you know, yeah. we're going to recognize you. And no one thought to do a background check. I don't know that there's like a Nazi registration that you can yeah. just like type in their name and like double check, but yeah. there probably should be. But when um, the guy obviously told them he fought for, he fought against the Russians in World War II, because that was in Rhoda's remarks. Right. So as soon as someone says, oh, I fought against Russia in World War II, someone in the room has to say, wait, wait a sec. Uh, wait, yeah. you're yep. on the wrong side yeah, of that history. Was, yeah. That was the bad guys. You were on the bad but, team. But to be fair, like the Pope also like did at one point, yeah. right? Because like, <laughs> He was like a junior Nazi. Yeah. Um, so like, I, I, I think it was like a colossal mess up, but like, how do these things happen? It's really just like, you know, some 18 year old university student is being asked to vet someone. They go on Facebook. The person doesn't have a Facebook page because they're in their 90s. And they're like, oh, I, I, I can guess find anything. I yeah. can find anything. I, 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 could, like, I couldn't find his TikTok. Then, and yeah. then this becomes an international yeah, incident. Yeah. Like that yeah. is literally how this probably went down. La- okay, quickly, are, are we done with this now that Rhoda's out? Are we, does this kind of like go yeah. away this week? I hope so. I, I, for me, no. I, I think, you know, the yeah, in particular, Michelle Lanson, the, the uh, deputy leader um, who is, is mm-hmm. Jewish, represents uh, the constituency of Thornhill and you know, a highly Jewish area uh, in the GTHA. Um, I think they're, the conservatives are actually going to to ride this one for a while. And now it really actually comes down to, you know, repairing international reputation and, and getting the apology to Zelensky uh, in a meaningful way, because yep. that's not happened yet. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I, I would tend to agree that it's, it, it's going to be it. Last thing before we go. 
Uh, Truth and Reconciliation, Day of Truth and Reconciliation is this weekend. Lots of stuff going on uh, today. We're recording this on the Friday, obviously. There's stuff going on Saturday. There's stuff going on on Monday. If you go to londonnewstoday.ca right now, uh, there's a whole list of where things are going on in the community. If there's anything that's going on that anyone wants to shout out or anything along those lines, now is the time. Western Fair tomorrow. Western Saturday. Fair. Western Fair Saturday. If you're listening to this on Saturday and or Friday night, I will say as a LTC commissioner, yes. one of the other hats I wear is that there will be a mess of uh, detours associated with this. There's going to actually be a water walk come from uh, the former site of the Mount Elgin Residential School mm-hmm. to uh, Horton and Colburn. Um, up uh, Longwoods Road and, and Warncliffe and then up into the city across commissioners. Sure. Uh, go to realtime.londontransit.ca to see uh, those transit updates as they happen because we're still trying to figure out what the size and scale of this is. And, and I don't think there's anyone to really know until it's happening. Right? And like, I, I would just tell parents like, you know, if they're trying to have conversations and like learn with their young children, like go and visit the Mount Elgin, like, you know, residential school site and the memorial there and like try to actually dig into our like local history because it's actually shocking um you know how close everything is to london um and things that were happening even only 30 or 40 years ago so i think you know everyone can take monday to really think about like learning about these things there we go. Thank you very much to Matthew and to Elizabeth and to Scott for doing the roundtable with us this week. Of course, you can find us at classicrock981.com and londonnewstoday.ca. And the Craig Eagles podcast is brought to you by Clearview Autoglass. With a bit of bad luck, your windshield took one for the team and you've got to get it replaced. The good luck is you've got Clearview Autoglass. Certified in OptiAIM Lane Departure Camera Calibration Service, Clearview Autoglass will replace your windshield quickly and safely to ensure the integrity of your vehicle. And they will submit your claim directly to your insurance company for you. Plus, they'll give you a $25 gift card. Don't just drive, enjoy the view with Clearview Autoglass. 540 Clark Road and clearviewautoglasslondon.ca. The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. 